Hey, Slate listeners, I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slow burn. Hope to see you there. Hey, everyone. In this week before Labor Day, we are revisiting some of our favorite conversations from the past year or so. Today, I'm going to share an episode we aired back in December. It was all about book banning. I'd wondered, what happens when it's your book that's being banned? And that's how I ended up talking with young adult author Ashley Hope Perez. All right, here's the show. Heads up, everyone. We're going to be talking about banned books in this episode. And the reasons those books got banned in the first place, a lot of times that includes some frank talk about sex. So you've been warned. When I was in high school, there was that one English teacher everyone adored, the one who sponsored the literary magazine, the one who encouraged students to keep journals and read poetry out loud. I thought of that teacher when I got Ashley Perez on the line. She used to teach English down in Texas. I taught on the southeast side of Houston at Chavez, Cesar E. Chavez High School. Back in the early 2000s, that meant assigning the so-called classics. Well, I was teaching back in the days of To Kill a Mockingbird, of Mice and Men, um, always some Shakespeare. So I taught Julius Caesar, Macbeth. Yeah, was there ever a book you wouldn't teach? Well, I didn't teach for my my district literature textbook at all. They just stayed. Actually, we used them as doorstops. We would just like, stack <laughs> up a big thing to hold the door open. I think that when literature is put in a textbook, it stops seeming alive. Ashley writes young adult books now. But the way she said that last bit, the way she talks about literature being alive, I felt like I was back in the classroom with her feeling the muted thrill of AP English. Because Ashley taught mostly Black and Latino kids, she thinks a lot about how to make books like hers welcoming for all kinds of readers. That means thinking about the hidden messages her stories can send. I have a really big issue with glossaries, for example. There was a period of time that books like mine that incorporated Spanish would have a glossary in the back, which I hate because to me it has that textbook quality this this is sort of or it says who is this for this is assuming that the reader doesn't have either the linguistic skills to understand these phrases or the you know persistence to google them on their phone (laughs) it sounds like you became a young adult author partially because you wanted to write a book that you would want to assign as a teacher hmm 
I, well, I wouldn't, I, I actually would say no in the sense that I wouldn't want to assign my books, but the best is when another kid hands it to them and says, you should read this. That's my favorite. And that that's because as a teacher, that was overwhelmingly the way that non-readers became readers. I have been writing the books that I want students like mine to find in their school library. But finding Ashley's book in a school library, that's gotten a lot harder over the last year. Because as careful as she is about being inclusive when she writes, some people say they still feel left out of Ashley's narrative. These fights are nothing new, but an expert says they're becoming more heated. And those people, they're showing up at school board meetings, demanding books like Ashley's get pulled off the shelves. I want you to start focusing on education. The American Library Association has called this year's spike in book banning a moral panic. Both of these books include pedophilia. There are children in the audience here. Do not interrupt my time. Do not interrupt my time. I would like to remind everybody. I will stand here until my time is restored and my time is finished. So today on the show, what's it like when your book is the one getting yanked out of school libraries? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you're driving, cooking, or doing laundry, Progressive knows the podcasts you listen to go best when they're bundled with another activity. Much like how their progressive home and auto policies go best when they're bundled. Having these two policies together makes taking care of your insurance easier. And it could help you save, too. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. That's a whole lot of savings and protection for your favorite podcast listening activities, like going on a road trip, cooking dinner, or even hitting the home gym. Yep, your home and your car are even easier to protect when you bundle your insurance together. Find your perfect combo. Get a home and car insurance quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Before we got into the backlash over her book, it's called Out of Darkness, I asked Ashley Perez to describe this now controversial work in her own words. So Out of Darkness is a love story. It's an interracial romance between a Mexican-American girl named Naomi who comes to East Texas from San Antonio and an African-American boy named Washington Wash is what he goes by. And it's set against the backdrop of a historical event uh, that occurred about 20 minutes from where I grew up, uh, which is the New London school explosion. And a lot of people have never even heard of this event. Uh, but in 19, March of 1937, there was a natural gas leak in this school that when it ignited caused a huge explosion. And the estimate of deaths is um, close to 300. They never knew for sure because all the school records were destroyed in the explosion. Something else I noticed when I was reading about Out of Darkness 
is that I don't think it's an easy read. Like the New York Times review was written by a pretty grizzled reporter. He reported in Baghdad <laughs> and Mexico City. And he wrote, I actually had to close the book at one point to seek respite with Facebook and puppies. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was that was entertaining to me. Um, yes, I agree completely. And I often when I hear from folks about the challenges of reading it, I, you know, I can only respond with understanding because I lived inside that story world. And I still, I mean, my heart is still buried in that book. There are pieces of my heart I will never get back that are there forever. But it is a, a challenging narrative. And I think it's a book for a student who is willing, wishing to engage with some very difficult histories. Their histories of racial violence, their histories of sexual abuse, their histories of um, misogyny. You know, those things are all there in the book. There is also a lot of love and family and playfulness and joy that's happening in spite of those ever intensifying um, pressures and constraints. Ashley says when Out of Darkness got released back in 2015, she braced herself for some kind of pushback. But in the six years the book's been out, she never really got any. That is, until she got word back in the spring that it had been put on pause in a central Texas school district. And then over the summer, a video emerged. A Mexican is a Mexican is a Mexican. Take her out back, we boys figured, then hand on the titties. Put it in her coin box, put it in her cornhole, grab a hold of that braid, rub that calico. You can find that on page 39 of the book called Out of Darkness, which you can find at Hudson Bend Middle School and Bee Cave Middle School. This video shows a parent, her name's Carabelle, objecting to a passage in Ashley's book. She is speaking at a school board meeting just outside Austin. I do not want my children to learn about anal sex in middle school. I have never had anal sex. I don't want to have anal sex. I don't want my kids having anal sex. I want you to start focusing... The words Bell's quoting, they do appear in Out of Darkness, but she's compressing an entire scene into a string of buzzwords. In this scene, Naomi, Ashley's main character, she has walked into a new school... Her classmates recognize she is the prettiest girl there, but they dismiss her because of her race. A Mexican is a Mexican is a Mexican, one girl says. And the boys, they daydream about sexually assaulting Naomi. So uh, in September, I had the pleasure of seeing uh, Central Texas actor, Carabelle. Not really. She's not an actor, but she's quite a performer. Uh, do a dramatic reading of a series of snippets from a chapter in Out of Darkness in a school board meeting uh, in a video that went viral. Uh, it, you know, it circulated with headlines like, you know, Texas mom loses it over anal sex. Um, she was reacting to the inclusion of the word cornhole in a passage uh, that was from the perspective of white high school students in this 1936 Texas school who were objecting to the arrival of a Mexican-American student in their class. And sort of we were seeing how the young men in the class were viewing her as a sexual object, et cetera. And we should we should contextualize the video. This mother from 
I believe outside of Austin, she goes to a school board meeting. My understanding is she had actually tried to run for school board, so clearly a very activated parent. She's just yelling words at you, and you don't really know what she's talking about. Nor does she know what she's talking about, right? Because she definitely hasn't read the book. <laughs> I mean, I... I know that when I reacted to this, I was just my brain was just kind of scrambled because I was like, what is going on here? But those are your words. I mean, how did you react? It it's so painful, right? To to hear to hear something that you've worked incredibly hard to shape and to present in a way that is, you know, it's part of a literary whole, right? Um, to see someone just yank those phrases as if any of the phrases that she's using are things that I endorse. You know, several of the things are dialogue and the the whole point of the passage is to show readers the what the main character has to endure, what she has to navigate, the ideas and perspectives and limiting beliefs that are circulating in the school space where she has to spend eight hours of her day. But this parent is not interested in the function of that passage in the work as a whole, um, nor is she interested in the work as a whole. I, I mean, this is the kind of thing where there's a reason she's reading from something in the first 30 pages, because <laughs> that's these parents are often have have decided because they've been steered towards particular books by um websites like No Left Turn or Moms for Liberty, they've already decided that this book needs to go and they're just looking for what will be the most attention grabbing. And particularly this individual knew, I think, that her presentation of the topic was going to grab attention. And I think that was the goal. You pointed out, too, that what the district did here because this woman did win, the the book got taken off the shelves, it violated their own policy. Like their policy was that they might review a book, but during that time, the book would remain on the shelves. That's not what happened here. No. And unfortunately, in these challenges that are happening all over the country, we're seeing that over and over. Districts have these policies for a reason. And that is, I can say as an, as an English teacher myself, right? If I was afraid that one parent complaining would mean that all the books I was teaching, for example, if I I was teaching a a book in class, were going to be removed, then I, what am I going to teach? I'm not going to teach the thing that's, that's challenging and controversial in some way. I'm going to teach the most unobjectionable thing. And that's kind of the goal here is to chill discourse and intimidate teachers and librarians. So it's not even just about removing out of darkness from a library. It's about creating an environment in which the librarian, the next time they order books, is going to think twice before choosing a book that engages with difficult histories in our nation or that engages with LGBTQ identities or that engages with teen sexuality in some way, even if that book is highly recommended um, in professional journals for school libraries. Another thing that bothers Ashley is that while parents are often complaining to their schools about the sexual content of books like hers, that doesn't seem to be their true objection to what she's written. And she feels like that because she sees the books that aren't getting banned. I portray these events to 
challenge them not to endorse them. I'll often um, bring up the Bible because <laughs> I grew up in a Bible church and I know that book really well. And I ask, you know, do you think that the Bible is grooming young people to be sexually abused or gang raped or, you know, to engage in incest? Because all of those situations occur in that text. Uh, and I, and I think that, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but there's, there's just no denying the pattern of which books are being targeted. Like, even though the most common reason given is sexual content, it is not the sexual content that these books have in common. These books have in common centering characters or experiences from non-white, non-dominant, uh, communities. And I, you know, I, I often just, if I could make a stack of all of the books in the high school library with sexual content and make a stack of those that feature straight white middle-class characters, that's going to be the highest stack, but those are not the books that are being challenged. And every middle school and high school in Texas, I'm, I'm willing to venture has copies of the Bible. So this idea that sir, this content is unacceptable in some books, but fine in others is where I really, I just, I, I feel the, the actual intentions, what kind of message is really being sent becomes clearer. When we come back, are there any books that are worth banning? This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you was this statistic from the American Library Association, which found that these conversations about banning books in schools, they're just happening more often this year than last year. And it seems like a major spike. Mm -hmm. And I, given that statistic... I realized I had this question for you, which was, do you think there are any books that should be banned from schools? Mm -hmm. No, I think once a book is included in a school library, I, I trust the librarian's judgment. Although there's no comparison in terms of volume of challenges coming from, you know, folks who identify as conservative versus folks who identify as liberal. There have been a handful of cases where, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, there, there was a call for its removal or Of Mice and Men. And I think that I firmly believe that those books do belong in school libraries. And we should be clear, the reason why I think many educators have become uncomfortable with To Kill a Mockingbird is that it puts forward a white savior narrative. And it makes a lot of readers deeply uncomfortable, right? 
Yeah. But I think, but like, and circling back to that conversation about discomfort, discomfort is not danger. And I think that um, teaching To Kill a Mockingbird in an unqualified way, you know, without contextualizing those issues is at this point irresponsible. But to teach it in ways that highlight and address those problems can be very powerful. And frankly, our literature is full of narratives that are problematic in many of these ways. And we don't have to teach every one of those problematic narratives, but to find opportunities, even if it's, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm teaching this novel, but I'm going to step to the side and have my students read a chapter or two from To Kill a Mockingbird. So we can talk about the difference. What's different when African-American characters are portrayed as having agency in their own lives versus when they are portrayed as uh, secondary to the actions of a white character. One parent in Houston who successfully petitioned her school into getting rid of a couple of books, not your book, she explained herself by saying that she's not into censoring. That's not what this is about for her. She sees this more as, you know, we filter students' internet access. We have keywords and trigger words. We know people shouldn't have access to certain things as a minor. Why isn't this the same process in school libraries? Mm -hmm. And I wonder what you'd say to that. Well, I think that what's missing from that is attention to what is the material, right? It's not a website. It's a work of literature. What's the difference? So I, I, I think whenever folks are talking about, you know, we have filters for these other things, I want to say libraries have those filters too. They come in the form of professional reviews, librarians referring to um, the recommendations of professional journals. You know, they can't read every book. That's true. But uh, there are resources that guide their selection. So there's already been filtering. And in in the case that they include something that has sexual content, like Out of Darkness, there is a track record of professional, trustworthy organizations evaluating that content and saying, yes, this is this is functioning as part of a literary whole. It's not there to glorify the situation. It is part of a story that complicates and challenges it. It's not the same as accidentally clicking on pornography. Exactly. And I think that that's, I mean, to, to, to imply that it's the same just reveals a, a lack of understanding about what it is to engage with literature. One thing that I feel like we've come back to a couple times in this conversation is the fact that the increasingly heated rhetoric I'm hearing right now when it comes to what kids can and can't read The entry point for a lot of parents, what seems to get them so upset, is sex. Mm -hmm. And you've pointed out that, you know, a lot of times, like, there's sex in a lot of books. Mm -hmm. um, And it's it's often been objectionable to people, whether you're talking about, you know, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, or whatever. But I wonder a little bit what you make of this sexual panic that is focused on books that deal with race. Like, of course, with your book, there's the mention of the word cornhole, which is a reference to anal sex. Mm-hmm. But then if you look at 
like the Virginia governor's race. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of talk about the book Beloved in Mm -hmm. that governor's race. Mm -hmm. And that has scenes involving sexual assault, bestiality. Another book that has gotten a lot of attention in the last year, this book Lawn Boy. There's a very similar school board meeting Mm -hmm. to the one that happened for your book, where a woman gets up and reads passages. She actually has poster boards where, you know, it's really frank conversations about gay sex, being a queer kid, being a fourth grader, having sexual thoughts, stuff that's tough and stuff that's challenging. I mean, it's stuff that's tough. It's stuff that's challenging, but it's also real. And again, that's where I come back to who am I, you know, who am I serving? And I, I certainly care about parents and their perspectives, but I am not writing to please parents. And I don't think, and I think that also, you know, you, you just, you can't create literature if you're trying not to offend people. Literature has always taken me to the, to the far, far edge of what I can bear to forget, you know, comfort. I'm never comfortable when I'm writing (laughs) because the things that are worth writing Hmm. about challenge us. Can you tell me how your life changed after this video went viral of a woman just dragging your work? Hmm. Yeah, my my editor called it um, uh, vandalism and I I appreciate that. Um, The most significant effect has been that because this was so high profile, my book, which is perhaps more widely read in Texas since it's set in Texas, it's on many of the Texas Library Association sort of um, book guide lists. But because of this performance, all of a sudden Out of Darkness is on the radar of basically every parent participating in this kind of orchestrated challenge. I have been um, sent lots of materials from private Facebook groups in these communities where my book's been um, challenged, removed, or banned. And the reason I want to say, and this is going to sound cynical, I don't want to say that it's true for every parent, but the reason so much of this focus is on sexual content is because folks know they can't challenge something with a focus on the race of characters or the sexual orientation of characters. What do they say about it in the Facebook groups that leads you to think that? No, I'm 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 going to paraphrase this, but I basically when you challenge these books, focus on the sexual content. Do not use the word gay sex, do not use LGBTQ, do not talk about race. Books can't be removed for those reasons. I mean, it's that clear. So while some parents may may be there objecting because of the sexual content, there's clearly an agenda that's about other issues. And I think I really again, I think it's about reclaiming, you know, this this idea that somehow education has been taken away from conservative communities or from that their stories are no longer central. But I mean, it is really that explicit. I want to be clear that underlying all of this is a much more, I've heard from many school leaders, they're, they're overwhelmed and exhausted with public information requests. Parents showing up and they, even though they've passed the number of requests you can make for free, 
they have no issue making a, you know, running up bills of $500, $600 because they have funding. And they're requesting for like emails or communications? Purchase orders from the library, teachers beginning of year surveys to check if they ask students for preferred pronouns, things like that, that they are basically looking for signs that the way things are being conducted in the school somehow um, violates the principles that they that they think should govern education. I, one thing that I always want to say really clearly and strongly, especially when being asked about my experiences with this situation, is that I feel what we as authors are going through when these books are removed is a fraction of the struggle and suffering that is occurring for the librarians and the teachers and above all the students in these communities. Because trying to learn, trying to teach in an environment of such hostility and opposition is unfathomably difficult. And I hear from teachers and librarians all the time who are at their limit. And the the thing I wish I could say to, you know, middle of the road parents, parents who might hear a video like that and think, oh, I don't think anal sex is like the best thing for middle school. Maybe that parent has a point. I would want them to understand what is happening is that teachers and librarians and schools resources are being pulled away from teaching students and being sucked into these uh, manufactured controversies. Ashley Perez, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Ashley Hope Perez is the author of three YA novels, including Out of Darkness. And that's our show. This best of episode of What Next was produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Delshad, and Daniel Hewitt. We're led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. Our new production team includes Madeline Ducharme and a little help from Anna Rubinova, Jared Downing, and Anna Phillips. All right, catch you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.